Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are we supposed to get married? I'm gonna just swipe left. I just want somebody to share my life with. Why is it that like, a chicken can make a better choice in a partner? <laughs> you can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've seen me on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. Welcome to another wild episode of Dates and Mates. The great animal debate continues today. <laughs> the online dating stats say that men who have cats in their profiles get fewer messages, but men who have dogs get more. Then there are the people that say that men are dogs, but I would never insult dogs like that. <laughs> hey, yo, I'm just poking fun here. <laughs> I love men. And I love dogs. And I love looking at what humans and animals can learn from one another. If you and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, is there anything we could learn about love from looking at other animals? That is precisely the question at the core of the new Discovery Plus TV series, Love in the Jungle. Today, animal behavior expert and show consultant, Dr. Jennifer Vertolin, will school us on love lessons from the animal kingdom. She'll tell us why we should trade romantic images of swans for vultures. Mm, head scratcher there. The real reason that red works in your dating profiles, which you've heard me say often, and so much more. But first, you know we like to dish. What do you do if a nice guy turns out to be not so nice after all? Then, later in Dear Demona, I will tackle the burning question. Help! I live in a small town, and after creating an online dating profile, my inbox is being flooded by my neighbors and people from work. Like I said, it's going to be a wild one. <laughs> Let's dish. These dating dish... Newsweek tells us, nice guys, what to do if a guy turns out to be not so nice. Now, I got a little education today because I learned that the term nice guy doesn't mean what it used to mean. Nice guy used to mean someone who is nice and treats you well. Reddit went and turned it all around on me. That is not what it means anymore. Apparently now, nice guy is a term used on Reddit to describe a man who believes acting nice or moral entitles him to sex, romance, and affection. You may recognize this usual pattern that they cite in the article. When you first start talking, they're perfectly nice and give you lots of compliments. They make an advance. If or when you decline, they immediately turn on you. They begin name-calling, acting dismissive, and saying things like, I didn't think that you were pretty anyway. Okay. <laughs> this is something, first of all, this is not a new phenomenon. This is a pervasive attitude throughout the metasphere and beyond. Because, according to this article, the anonymity of social media allows feelings of rage to come to the surface and be expressed more easily. Here are some traits of a typical nice guy, because I don't want you to get caught up. And remember, when I say nice guy right now, I'm talking about like in the Reddit form of the word nice guy. So they may lack emotional intelligence or the ability to express their emotions. They may use love bombing to disarm you. If you're not familiar with love bombing, this is saying everything that you want to hear and using like very deep emotional language right off the bat. And then there's always an explosion at the end of the love bomb 
So it's I love you, I love you, I love you. And then it's like completely disappearing and distancing themselves from you. So you might notice a big change in emotion, like they quickly become angry or insulting. And then you may be asking, what do I do, Demona? When I encounter a nice guy, should I try to like educate them about their behavior and say, hey, that was really rude and don't treat me like that? And as much as I'm all about honesty and transparency, I think you're kind of wasting your breath or your typing fingers. <laughs> because according to this article, they are probably not in the position to really think about their behavior reasonably. And you should stay polite because if you get rude with them, then that means that they gained emotional control over you and it may just make them even worse. But then I'm so adamant about this. You've got to block and report this person for abusive behavior because all of the apps and social media does take it very seriously if people are violating the terms of the app. So we don't want them there. Let them know. <laughs> we don't want them. Now, I want to speak for a moment to the actual nice guys, because uh, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. I actually developed something called the Nice Guy Nine, and this was uh, techniques to help guys that were really classified as nice guys. Folks be overlooking these nice guys, and let me tell you, they make really good husbands. I got my nice guy, for those who are newer to listening to the show. My husband is literally like the definition of nice, but it's really important to, I should have defined what nice meant. And luckily I got what I was looking for, but I don't think I had enough clarity. So with my clients, I try to get more clarity when they have a dating plan on what they're actually looking for. But if you are a nice guy, you're often overlooked. You're always the friend. You're always the bridesmaid, never the bride. <laughs> Here are, uh, I'm not going to give you all nine, but I'll give you a couple tips. First, Get her talking on a date about the things that she loves because as she has positive feelings about talking about maybe her dog or about an activity she enjoys, she's going to actually associate those positive feelings with you. Even though they're not things necessarily that you do, if you seem interested in them and you bring out those neurotransmitters that she associates with love, love for her dog, love for this activity, love for this movie, then those emotions actually get transferred to you. It's a shortcut. You also should give her like good compliments. <laughs> I was talking with John Kim, who was on a recent episode of Dates and Mates on his podcast. And he mentioned to me that he had a friend who saw Megan Fox before she was famous in a coffee shop and was trying to find a way to approach her. You'll have to listen to his podcast, my interview on his podcast to hear what happened and what my recommendation was for that scenario. But in general, if you know she's gorgeous, she has guys talking to her all the time, don't go up to her and just say, hey, you're beautiful. Because like, duh. Go a level deeper. Like, is there something else? Can you give her a compliment on something that she's wearing? Or can you notice something different about her? Or a book that she's reading? Or, you know, that she's working? Or something that shows that you're paying attention to something other than just like, Oh, she's hot, okay? Because she's going to get those compliments and those don't tell her anything. And also, though, they don't reveal anything about you and what you're looking for. So that will give you a leg up. Also, eye contact. I could do a whole class on eye contact. I'm writing a lot about it in my book. You want good eye contact, but not creepy eye contact. So it's not staring, it's glancing and looking away. But a lot of times that actual nice guys tend to avoid eye contact because it's awkward. But hold the gaze a little bit longer than you think is comfortable because usually it's that point right after the feeling of comfortability that it becomes intriguing. Like, ooh, what's going on? Also, just tell her you like her. <laughs> We're all playing it so cool that nobody's really saying what they want. And and that they're interested. So tell her you're having a good time with her on a date. Tell her you really think she's cool and you'd love to see her again. Be open-hearted and you'll be amazed at what meets you back. I want to give you all nine, but we don't have time because we have to talk to Jennifer Vertolin. So just make sure that you are subscribed to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, wherever you are listening right now. And if you haven't yet, get my profile starter kit. It is free 
and it is a very quick tool for completely revolutionizing your online dating experience, switching up your profile, and magnetizing the dates to you. It's not going to be free forever, but it's free right now, and that will also get you on my list so that you can find out when I have other programs and when we can like actually work on the Nice Guy 9 or any of my other programs or techniques together. So you can find that at datesandmates.com for the time being. It is absolutely free for you. When we come back, Dr. Jennifer Vertolin will be with us to talk about bringing out our animal instincts and the new Discovery Plus show, Love in the Jungle. Stick around. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back. We are here with Dr. Jennifer Vertolin. She is an internationally known animal behavior scientist, podcast host, and the author of Wild Connection, What Animal Courtship and Mating Tells Us About Human Relationships. She's also an associate professor in the School of Natural Resources and the Environment at the University of Arizona, and she's a consultant on the new show, Love in the Jungle on Discovery Plus. Please help me give big smooches to Dr. Jen Vertolin. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. I really need to talk to you because we're going to get into Love in the Jungle on Discovery Plus. It's such a fascinating series. But I just first want to understand a little bit more about your background and how you came to find the intersection between dating and among humans and what happens in the animal kingdom when we're dating and mating. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, right? Because like, I've always seen a, a relationship between ourselves and other species. I've always seen these similarities, even though we can be really different. I'm really different from a dragonfly, but there are also ways that we're similar. Uh, so I, I'm an animal behaviorist. I study wild animals and all the things that go into their social lives and their love lives. And, and then there was my own sort of dating life. <laughs> and I found myself after I got my PhD and I'm single again, going, okay, why is it that like a chicken can make a better choice in a partner <laughs> like than I can? Like, how is it <laughs> that I know the ins and outs of all these different species and and, and all the rituals and, and the reasons for those rituals and how they pick a mate and how they behave to keep a mate um, and where there's drama. There's lots of drama, especially in birds. And, and like, what am, I, what am I doing wrong here? So I just had this idea. I'm a scientist. And I thought, what if I try to date like other species and I use some of those principles instead of being guided by romantic comedies and you know, all these things that were told and taught at culturally, which also vary from place to place. Um, what if I, you know, pick a few animals and that have long-term partnerships and, and think about how do they go about doing things and give it a try and see what happens and, and also exclude potential mates based on principles that we see in other species. So I don't waste as much time as I had wasted up until that point. Yeah, that's really the foundation for Love in the Jungle. So just to give everybody kind of a, a, an overview of what it's like, I kind of looked at it as like a bit of Survivor meets like Fuckboy Island meets, <laughs> like, <right? laughs> meets Married at First Sight. And it's very interesting because, you know, there's a really you know, someone who, who's worked in a lot of reality TV, it's very structured. Like, you know, the, the contestants can't talk. We can't use a lot of the things that we traditionally use when you're dating based on, you know, sort of animal dating and mating rituals. What were some of the things that, that surprised you, that you were surprised to see once you got into, you know, assigning different animals to the contestants and helping the producers designing the challenges 
and then seeing how they actually played out in the courtship ritual. Yeah. Well, so one of the things that pleased me and surprised me was actually how much the contestants embraced the philosophy, right? Even though it's awkward, you know, you mentioned that they can't talk. So this is actually quite important because we humans, we love our language, right? We use words so much and we manipulate each other with words and we uh, present an image to each other with our words. And sometimes, you know, we don't pay attention to other things because we're so caught up in the wonderful words that might we might be hearing. And so by taking that away, you're left with observing how somebody interacts with others. You are left with noticing their body language. You're left with how creative can they be with what they're trying to say or to communicate to you. They have to find other ways to show you. Uh, and that's kind of the key, right? They have to show you. They can't tell you. So the fact that they embrace that, even though it's awkward and it's uncomfortable. And the other thing that surprised me was how fully they went into these challenges, right? They, they really took them seriously. They did them. And, you know, I think about like, what if I had had to cover myself in feathers and dance like a flamingo? I mean, I probably would have done it just because I regularly imitate other animals. <laughs> so I kind of have lost my embarrassment about that. But, but you know, it's, it's still you're doing it in front of potential mates, which is not something we typically have to do. We always make ourselves very comfortable. We dress the way we feel the best. And this is really unsettling to be vulnerable in that way, super vulnerable. And I was also excited to see the contestants over time say, hey, wait a minute, you know, I really want to explore all of the individuals that are here and not um, make a pick immediately and stick with it. And that's part of the process. When we look at other species, they sample, they gather information about multiple individuals, and then they make their decisions. Okay, so let's unpack all of that, because I do think, I mean, you've literally written the book on this topic, uh, Wild Connection. You have a podcast, Wild Connection podcast. And I'm really, I'm interested, I'm kind of grappling with this. I'm writing my own first book right now. And I see that there are a lot of, there are a lot of sort of holdovers, I think, from the animal kingdom that serve us. And then there are things that I think we are too connected to. So just like bringing an example in from Love in the Jungle, you know, there's this concept with the challenges of the alpha male and the alpha male gets to, you know, pick their mate first. And in the way that we live now, I don't know that the alpha male mentality or persona is what we should be looking for or I, I don't know what what do you what do you see out there in these da- in the in the dating jungle <laughs> as far as hierarchy and mate selection. Here's what I will say that one of the beautiful things about being human is that there's always somebody who might like your unique characteristics whatever they are. Um and that's not true for other animals. So if you are a cardinal, you are judged by female cardinals on how red you are. Uh, basically, that's it. So if and you can't go to like the spray tan for cardinals, right, and get redder, like, <laughs> right, and but here's the thing: why do female cardinals care so much about how red the males are? Well, because they become red through their diet, and so that red is a signal: I'm a good male. I can find food. I'm going to be a good father. I can provide while. Well, you are in the nest. I'm going to be able to bring you food. So that's what we call an honest signal. And those honest signals don't have to be about strength. They don't have to be about size. They can be intelligence. They can be sociability. They can be all kinds of traits. It happens in a lot of other animals that those signals are shown physically because they are hard to cheat meaning that red cardinal can't get redder. So I think that, you know, when we think about love in the jungle and this um, 
you know, portrayal of the alpha male or alpha female, what it was really about was not referring to the sort of hierarchy that we're so familiar with, with the word alpha, but it was a way to um, allow individuals to choose or have first choice about, um, you know, and they had to compete. And what we see in humans and other species is intense male male competition, intense female female competition, right? Uh, or however you want to, you know, mix it up. It doesn't really matter. There's always going to be competition for high quality mates, depending on whatever we decide is high quality. Dr. Jen, you just said a mouthful. So we were talking about things that are not necessarily the same in human dating and mating as an animal. But one thing that is the same, I'm always telling folks on the show that the color red is very powerful. And so I encourage people to use red in their dating profiles, like either on their person or in the background. But it's because like we do have an emotional connection still to certain colors. And I believe that it does stem from some of these connections in the animal kingdom. What do you say? Well, you know, I think it's really interesting because it's going to depend on the species, but we do know, for example, zebra finch that are banded. So when we study other animals, we sometimes need a way to identify them. So for a long time, people who study birds put bands on their legs and they use different colors and different number of bands to be able to tell individuals apart. And it turned out in this little bird, this little zebra finch, really pretty, that males that got red bands uh, were apparently super sexy to the females. <laughs> they had more stuff. Yeah. So females also love novel traits, right? And so apparently, for some reason, the males that got green bands, they were like, murk, murk. they lost fights with males that had red bands and females didn't dig them as much. So, you know, we are attuned to different factors. And, and the thing that I like to bring people's attention to, which you're doing too, which is wonderful, is notice this. Pay attention to this because you might be drawn to somebody based on that, but that doesn't make that individual the right partner for you. It's the same as in monogamous long-term partnership species, humans and other animals. We size each other up physically. We're attracted to how we smell. And that tells us one piece of information. We think that powerful attraction means you're a good partner. You're our soulmate. You're the one. And what I love about Love in the Jungle is it shows when you put a bunch of people together, we can be really strongly attracted to a lot of people at the same time. Oh, So that's not enough information to make a decision about our long-term partner. Oh, see, you've done it again, Dr. Jen. You've, you've laid a lot of threads that we have to pick up on because I want to talk about mate selection, like you said, being attracted to a number of people in a second, but you also brought up smell. And I know in your book, you talk about this too, like in our society, we, we mask our smell. By the way, just have to acknowledge the there's a difference I see between the strategy that you use to attract and then all the deeper work that you're talking about that you have to do to prepare and, and figure out if somebody is the right match yeah. for you as well. So, so we're aligned on that. But yeah, what's up with this pheromones? Like there's even, there's dating apps that will like take your pheromones and match you based on pheromones. How much does smell really play into human attraction as you see it? Oh, it's huge. And I think that we do a disservice to each other by, by covering our smell. So there was actually an experiment. I don't remember where it was, but it was basically a speed dating experiment using armpit swaps. And then you basically went around sniffing jars and you wrote down what jar or jars you were strongly attracted to. And then if there was a match, you got time with that individual. And, you know, I, I think that we get a lot of information from smell, a ton of information. So the most important information that we get is something we call MHC genes, our major histocompatibility genes, which are our immune function genes. And so we are most attracted to individuals that are opposite to us. And why would we be most interested to, in, in individuals that have 
sort of an opposite set of genes. Well, you combine two different sets of immune genes and you have babies that have really the best of both of their parents when it comes to immune genes. Genetic diversity, right? That's right. And diversity is wonderful in all kinds of ways. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, and so here's an interesting thing we've known for a very long time. and, And you might also know about this. Women that are in birth control, it changes their smell preferences. And they're attracted to men that are most similar to them on their MHC genes, which then becomes a problem sometimes when they get off birth control. They may not be able to stand the smell of their partner. So I always sniff a date. I mean, it's always awkward, especially if I do it really loudly. And I try to control myself. I do, but I'll go in for that hug, you know, and I, and I've actually had a man or two go, did you just sniff me? And I'm like, I did. I'm sorry. I think that we, we use deodorant, we use perfumes. I'm not an advocate of, I don't like it when men wear cologne. Yeah. I prefer to smell them as they smell. And you know, of course, one should have good hygiene. We're not talking about don't bathe for a week so that you're right by the time you go on your date. Like, that's not what we're talking about, (laughs) right? And also, I'm going to bring up a touchy subject. Uh, There's, you know, sort of this, and it's great. On the one hand, so we have this trend of hair removal in all kinds of places. Um, I think I know what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, for both men and women, it's sort of a thing that we do now. And while it has almost caused the little mite or crabs, as we call them, to almost go extinct, which is, you know, a nice thing. But it also, that's where a lot of other odors that are great are eliminated if you you do that. And so I, I feel like there was this push to have us be embarrassed about our smells. And, you know, I say bring it back. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about this apple of my armpit. And the ritual was that the women would put apples in their armpits. They would go to a dance. And if a man was interested in dating her, he would take the sweaty armpit apple and eat it afterwards. Yeah. Mm. But there's something to that. There's actually biology to this. So we have this microbiome. Uh, our, our bodies are like an ecosystem. We've got all of our, we have our unique bacterial, you know, kind of composition. And, and that's also what's in our armpit. So I have this theory, it's not tested, I'd like to test it, that our, our bacteria are attracted to each other. Our microbiomes want us to connect because they give us, uh, you know, sweat mixed with the bacteria is what gives us our smell. They didn't know this then, but what we now know is that our particular microbiome determines so much about our psychological well-being, our physical health. And when we live with someone, our microbiomes kind of mix and we take on each other's ecosystem. So people that live together or sleep together, you know, are more, you know, are mixing their bacteria. And so I actually was thinking earlier also of how I have this box of old stuff, like from my old apartment, like three apartments ago that I just I don't it's (laughs) it's like the, the vestiges of me that I just keep locked away. Right. And there was one day when I opened it and it was the weirdest thing, Dr. Jen, because I was like, I smell myself that's what I, I and 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 I know sense our our sense of smell is also the sense that is most tied to memory and so I just was literally taken back to like my bedroom in high school and I just like had all of these thoughts and feelings that just flooded me from smelling my own smell and then realizing how my house now does not smell like that box does we have created a whole new smell together that's right our smells change as we age and over time, because our hormones change and our diets change. And, and if you travel to another place, you know, might encounter new bacteria and new micro, you know, the new foods you eat in that place kind of add to whatever's going on in your gut. And there's a nerve, vagus nerve goes from your gut. So what you were saying about intuition, our guts actually go all the way to our brain. The vagus nerve goes from our gut to our brain. And it's a direct pathway for those microbiomes to influence all kinds of things. So 
Wow, mind blown. I mind know. Blown. This is so much to I think know. about. <laughs> but it's so, so but fascinating. I, I, you know what it is, though? I think we're overthinking a lot of it because it's already built in, right, to our systems. It is. And that's the thing. I think we overanalyze. Like, now I don't analyze anymore. I just... I, how do I feel? Am I, how am I feeling around this person? And I don't think about, oh, where's this going to be in five years? I think, what is this person revealing to me today? And is that matching or aligning with where I'm, you know, with my values and my goals? And I ask questions and I'm very, what's interesting for me is that I feel like I've gotten to know men better. And, and this is because there's not so much pressure for it to be a certain thing or to know the answer for everything on the first date or the second date. It's sort of, I pay attention, I'm present, I'm very present. And that's the other thing, why animals, other animals that use their intuition, it's because they're present. They're not next week, next month, next year. They're here now. And I think bringing more of that into our experiences with each other whatever those experiences are, will enhance what we share with one another, whether it works out as a relationship or not. You can have an amazing first date with someone you don't want to see on a second date. Yes, but you got to stay in the moment and, and stay in your intuition. That's right. Oh my gosh, the animal kingdom. And, and you are validating all of these things that I talk about on this show. See, it's it's it all makes sense. Well, and I would say maybe we draw the line on flirting with apples under our armpits. Okay, you know, for okay. now. Okay, yeah, Save that, that ship has for, sailed. You know, when you know each other. Better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not eating my husband's apple armpits. I'm not it, armpit apples. I'm not oh. doing it. Let's talk about monogamy. Oh, okay. <laughs> because uh, you know, this is another thing. Like on Love in the Jungle, you're kind of dating in a group. And as you said, like you can be attracted to multiple people, but I'm sure you see some species that are mating with one. I feel like there's just so many people like, you know, there's so much like pop psychology out there of like, oh, well, this species mates for life. This species doesn't. We're meant to be this. We're meant to be that. We're not meant to be monogamous. I got to go to the source. What What do you think? Okay. So- <laughs> I feel pretty passionately about this topic in the sense that even within species that are or are not quote unquote monogamous, there's variation among individuals. And in humans, there are over 50 human societies currently where women have two husbands. You know, there's all this variety. And even within monogamous Traditionally monogamous species like swans, the Bewick swan is a, an example. You have some infidelity in some partners, right? So some partners are super faithful and other partners are kind of not so much. We're even a, like one sixth or one third of the little cygnets, which is what baby swans are called, are not related to the male. So it's the females that usually step out. Ooh, they do a DNA oh, yeah. test? Yeah. Do they do a DNA? Oh, yeah. And so we call that socially monogamous, but not genetically monogamous, right? And then in other species where like prairie dogs, who females mate with, on average, two plus males. I study prairie dogs. And, you know, I'd see them traipsing all over the place. And I'm like, oh, oh. It's, it was thought it was the males that were doing all of the philandering. And it turned out it was the females that were going out and visiting other males. And, but not all females do, right? So some females, all of their pups were related to a single male. And some had four fathers, <laughs> you know. And so there's a ton of variety. And I think where we get caught up is we have a story about what our relationships are supposed to look like. And that they're supposed to look that way for everybody. I feel like uh, a lot of our perspective on dating and relationships is influenced by our cultural, you know, kind of evolution. We've changed so much culturally and that's really rapid. And some people just aren't as monogamous as other people. And I don't think that's a problem. I think the problem comes in where we don't have a society that permits people to say, you know what? I struggle with monogamy. I'm not really keen on monogamy. I want to have a relationship with you. How do you feel about that? And that person can say, 
authentically, not as a way to try to change another person. I, I, I'm okay with that because I also feel that way. And, and so I think that, and, and, but there's deception in other animals too. I mean, look, the, the swan that's having an affair with another swan is not advertising it, right? They, they are doing it on the, on the side. And then you also have like two male bewick swan, two male swans will get together and they'll coerce a female to join them. One of them mates with her. She lays the eggs and then they kick her out and they keep the eggs. There's all oh, kinds of, um, she basically was a, you know, unconsenting surrogate. <laughs> man, I didn't know swans were so And we have stuff. cards, right, <laughs> that have the swans and their little necks together in the shape of a heart. We give this to each other on Valentine's Day. What we really need to give are, you know, prairie voles, California mice, or black vultures. Black vultures are super monogamous. And... <laughs> So give your partner, You're give your up. date on Valentine's Day a black vulture and say, I love you. Okay. <gasps> oh my God. I'm going to tell that. You. you think I'm joking. I'm going to give him a black yeah. vulture and be like, well, Dr. That's Jen right. said this is, this but, is a sign of monogamy and commitment. It is. <laughs> and I would expect that, that even in black vultures in different environments, some individuals may not be as faithful. You know, they haven't genetically studied every single population of black vultures, but so far uh, they are super monogamous. And prairie voles are like the epitome of like, you know, oh, we're we we are empathetic. We cuddle each other. We we have all this good touching, and you know, but you get a prairie vole drunk, and suddenly they're not so faithful. Wow. Before we go, I definitely want to talk about intuition. And I feel like animals have a different level of intuition. Maybe I'm going to propose a theory to you. I'm not a scientist. You are. I think animals are more conditioned to use different senses together. And I think intuition, go with me for a second, intuition lies at the intersection of using all of our senses. I think that all of our senses together kind of can add up to the sixth sense. But this is just a theory. It is not tested. <laughs> How do you see animals using intuition? Like, you know, I see people all the time. They see the red flag. The red flag is flashing in their face. And then they ignore it, ignore it. They blow right through the red flag. And then they come back and they write in a question to dates yeah. and mates. Um, well, I also think people blow through yellow flags, right? Because there's usually a yellow flag before a red flag. and and that's the intuition, right? Uh, yeah, it's these subtle, subtle things. So, so I agree with you a thousand percent. Other animals, they use all their senses and they they pay attention to a lots of different information. And remember, when we started out with the cardinal, right? There's not like this female that's like, okay, I mean, he has potential to be redder. I think if I just work with him and I show him where the berries are and, you know, that he'll like, <laughs> he'll become more motivated. He will, you know, be more of an ambitious cardinal and, and he'll start doing it. Yep. Been there. I've just found, I've found the berries. I've been like, here right. are the berries. And then I'm like, why didn't you take right. the berries? The berries will make your, your, right. your feathers and, more red. And and there's yeah, also there. like there's some mm -hmm. species like orb weave spiders that the males like 30 percent. So males give females a gift in order to say, hey, I'm a good male. You should mate with me. And the gift is usually uh, it's supposed to be food wrapped really nicely in silk. And even orb weave spider females fall for pretty wrapping on an empty gift. So okay. some males, okay, some males, there. this is how bad those males are. They, they catch a meal, they eat the meal, then they wrap the skeleton. Like that would be like wrapping a chicken bone that's been eaten and just wrapping the bone and, and presenting it. And because they wrap it so nice, so elaborately, the females go, oh, okay. And their waves, okay, I'm not, okay. And as they're unwrapping it, the males you know, start to mate with them. And the difference between us and orb weave female spiders is that as soon as she discovers it's an empty gift, she, I like to say, terminates copulation immediately. 
And we don't. Mm. We see these red flags. We see other signs. We know in our gut, we have that feeling. We know what feels good and we know what feels bad. But we also have sort of been told that relationships are hard work, right? That everything is hard. And we also have storylines that tell us, you know, we get this wonderful, you know, uh, feeling when we first meet somebody, but then they don't treat us as, as well as we should. And then we go through all this pain and we, we break up and then they come back and, and they've had an epiphany about us and, and they, they come back and to be with us. And I think that this has muddled our, our intuition and our listening to ourselves. And, you know, this just doesn't really happen for other species. And also other species, especially females, time is precious. I'm sorry. I am busy. I got to find food. I got to have family. I don't have time for this. Well, because we're spinning our own webs over here. We are catching food for like the other people in our, you know, spider pod. <laughs> I don't know what you call it. Yeah. I'm sure there's a name. I'm not using the right one. And, well, no, you <laughs> you know, like, but it's true. And, you know, it's more life or death for other animals. They can't make this mistake. It, it is too risky. And we don't necessarily experience the consequences in the short term of our decision making, right? It, it, we don't recognize that we're actually experiencing the consequences on that first date that says something mean or critical. I think you've, you've just hit the nail on the head. Like we don't have the immediate consequences from not listening to our intuition. And it is dire in the animal kingdom. It is these, and this is what I'm trying to say on this show, like the decision of who you choose to invite into your life and partner with, it literally is the most important decision you will ever make. It affects every other area of your life and it should be taken that seriously. It can right? make or break your career and yeah. how far you go in life because you're spending all your time you know, trying to solve problems in a relationship that you can't focus on your your work or your other goals or dreams or ambitions. And I would propose, and I believe firmly, it is dire. Just because you don't recognize that your body, your your spirit, your emotions are experiencing direct consequences immediately. Uh, you know, we have this idea that consequences are these big things, you know, later. But like every time you have a bad feeling, chemicals get released in your body. Your demeanor changes in how you engage with the world, which influences the other people that are attracted to you and interact with you. You know, if you're constantly sad or frustrated or despondent about your dating uh, situation, whatever it may be, you carry that energy with you to work. You're less creative, you're tired, and people see it on you. I mean, I hate, you know, I'm a scientist, but energetically, like you project this. And opportunities just don't come. And I think if we date like other animals, we have, A, a lot more fun. We lose less time on situations that aren't right for us. And we can stay positive. Like, I, I, I don't really, I, I thank bad first dates. I'm like, oh, thank you for showing me instantly who you are. I can move on now. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I say that in the show. I say thank and release if it's not the yeah. right one. But let's just get this point across. It is dire. It is dire. But also, it is fun, like you said. And it was so much fun, first of all, to talk to you today. And second of all, to watch Love in the Jungle on Discovery+. Plus. What a fascinating show. Your work is so interesting. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I love what you're doing. Be sure to follow Dr. Jen on Instagram and Twitter at Real Dr. Jen and check out her website at Real Dr. Jen and that's J-E-N, one N. And check out her website for links to her book, Wild Connection, What Animal Courtship and Mating Tells Us About Human Relationships and look for her podcast by the same name. That's all at jenniferverdelin.com. The links will be in the show notes. In a moment, I'll be back to answer the following listener question. I live in a small town. I am recently divorced and I created an online dating profile. Now my inbox is being flooded by people I know in real life. Help. <laughs> Stay with me. You know I've always got you covered with your dating dilemmas. So let's get into the question of the week. Dear Demona, 
Demona, help me. The wonderful Wanda sent me this Instagram message. She says, hi, Demona. I love your podcast and all your fantastic advice. I DM'd you a couple weeks ago about not knowing where to start in the world of online dating after the end of my 25-year marriage and nine-year permanent separation. Your suggestion was to start out with writing a profile, which I did. Then I took it one step further and signed up for OkCupid and Silver Single since I'm in my 50s. After I downloaded some recent photos and created my profile, my inbox became flooded with messages from local men, and a couple were even patients at the hospital I work at. Well, let's just say the apps became quite overwhelming. I think because I work as a nurse manager in the ER at the only hospital in the city, I may have to figure out how to go on dating sites more incognito. I appreciate any advice on navigating this. Wanda, first of all, I am so proud of you. And I love getting updates. You see, I'm, I'm out here helping y'all. You're telling me where you're at. I'm giving you some feedback. You come back to me. You tell me what the next challenge is. And we work through this here on Dates and Mates. So Wanda, you've done a great thing for yourself. And I understand that it's overwhelming. And I'm not going to lie. Online dating is overwhelming. Because you went from zero to 60, girl. You went from no dates, and being in a 25-year marriage and a nine-year permanent separation to suddenly having dating options. And this is the biggest thing that has changed since when you were single. There are so many guys out there. Now, living in a small town, we have to, we have to lay the ground rules for a few things. If you want to date a man from your town, in your town, someone who is in close proximity to you so you don't have to drive like hours and hours for dates, you're probably going to have to see some people or get messages from some people that you know, that you cross paths with in daily life. First, let's lay some ground rules here, Wanda, because you are dating in a small town. And I assume you'd like to date someone who lives in close proximity to you who you don't have to drive an hour or two or three to go see. So that's going to mean that there is a high likelihood that you are going to see people online that you know or that you recognize in passing because that's kind of the deal with being in a small town. So we need to first figure out what, where is our block with that? What is our comfort level? Is it just the fact that people know that we're single and looking? I understand I had to get over that feeling of being exposed when I started dating. I was working as a casting director, which many of you know, and I would see a lot of times actors that I would call in for auditions, actors who had matched with me so that they could get auditions. Uh, but that's a separate story. But it felt very odd. It felt really uncomfortable for me to be out there in the public eye dating at first, knowing that. I wouldn't know if people were matching with me because of my profession or that I might run into these people later and then it would be weird like, oh, hey, I saw you on that dating site. This is before dating apps were a thing. And you know what? I'll be honest. I, I got the best results when I got over that. When I was like, hey, if I see them there, that means they're on the app too. And this is just part of life. Like this is part of being out in the digital world like would you be uncomfortable if they saw you on Instagram or on Facebook or that if you ran into them at a cocktail party or at a bar and somehow we have have overlaid this sort of shame or embarrassment over being on dating apps but that stigma really is largely gone and whatever you think they are thinking about you because they saw you on the app is probably not actually a thing. That's probably something that's happening internally. So we just have to separate. Like, can you tolerate that awkwardness long enough to get, get on these dates and see the benefits of dating apps? If the answer is no, then we have, we have more to talk about. <laughs> then you'll have to use, you know, passport features or different features on the apps to search beyond your immediate area because that's how most apps are designed to be geo-targeting, geo-locating, so that you get a date who lives close to you because that's what most people want. But there are features on all of the apps that allow you to search outside of your immediate area. Now, speaking of app features, you said 
you you asked me directly, I may have to figure out how to go on dating sites more incognito. You also said, Wanda, that you are on OkCupid, and you know that I am the official dating coach in the U.S. of OkCupid. Guess what, Wanda? <laughs> there is actually a feature on OkCupid called incognito. So you answered your own question right there. On incognito, you don't get ads. You can turn it on or off at any time. And here's the kicker. Your profile is invisible to everyone on the site or app unless you like or message them first. So I think I solved your problem. <laughs> you know, of course, you have to pay a premium for these services. And it's not just OkCupid. It is a service on other apps. I just know OkCupid the best uh, because I work with them. So why not stay on the app, go incognito, see what kind of magic you can make. And, and then, then come back to me before you want to push the whole thing away. I know it's a lot. And I know for anyone dating on an app, it's a lot. There's a lot of, a lot of conversation. There's a lot of effort that has to go out, but I promise you, I promise you it's worth it. And I'm just excited for you, Wanda. Look at all the dating options you have. Look at your inbox is flooded. Girl, that means the profile starter kit worked. That means you are showing up authentically. And that means, girl, you look good. Don't let anybody tell you because you're in your fifties. You ain't out there making moves. Okay. So I'm really happy for you. And I understand that there are growing pains in beginning the dating app process or just the dating journey again after divorce. That's how it is. But keep at it. Try the incognito feature. Try searching outside your immediate area and try to just just drop into that feeling of what am I uncomfortable with? Why don't I want people to see me? You have to be seen. You have to be visible. You have to be out there to be dating. That's part of it. So maybe there's more work in letting that guard down a little bit and opening up the door a little bit more for possibility because who knows, your next man might be your next patient, you know, after you discharge them, of course. <laughs> thank you, Wanda, so much for your updates. We can't wait to hear more. And thank you all for listening. If you have a question, I would love to hear it. I would love to answer your question on this show, you can give me a call at 424-246-6255, or you can DM me at Demona Hoffman. You can DM me, just type it in there, or you can even send me a voice memo, like our listener, R, who sent us a voice memo. By the way, speaking of updates, girl, R, I want to know, how did the advice work out for you? What's your update? Please keep listening to the show. Keep coming back. Keep sending me your questions and I will keep making it for you. This was episode 416 of Dates and Mates. If you love the show, share it. Share it with a friend. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a single episode. We have some exciting things coming up later this summer and I don't want you to miss a beat. So stay subscribed and stay in touch. We'll be back next Tuesday with the expert from one of my favorite TV shows, Love on the Spectrum, Dr. Jennifer Cook. I can't wait for it, and I can't wait to hear your questions. In the meantime, I wish you happy dating. <laughs>